You're listening to Her Body on Body IOFM, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance, with your host, Alex Navarro. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body IO FM. I'm your host, Alex Navarro, and we have Kiefer in studio again today. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I just think it's funny I keep showing up on Her Body, <laughs> which I'm. everybody keep that in the correct content context. Yes, please. Yeah. Just the show. Yes. Um, well, today, uh, kind of tagging on to the last one where you joined me and we talked about hits and incorporating those. Uh, we talked a little bit about the relation to uh, using glycogen. And so I wanted to touch more. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just started laughing. I wanted to touch, clarify a little bit more on the use of glycogen because in specifics to women, because a lot of the information that we see out there is in regards to men. And we are very different, obviously. So just wanted to touch on... <laughs> Some of the ways. <laughs> so I just wanted to touch on some of the ways that women store and release glycogen differently. Um, some of the other possible health issues that could complicate that a little bit more, if there are any, because that's a question that I I receive a lot from just you know people posting online or clients that I've worked with who might have metabolic issues, hormonal issues. If there's a difference in how we store and release glycogen in those various situations. So I know that's a complex, so we'll just kind of go through each thing, but let's just sort of paint a picture around how women <laughs> store and release glycogen differently than men. Cause we've talked about it a little bit before, but right. I think this will help us under understand how and why we can utilize programs like carb night or carb backloading, but why our approach has to be that much different. Right. You know, we and can't put it down like you guys can, even though I've tried. Well, uh, well, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, it's it's not so much that we store it differently; it's how we use it, and that's that actually is why a lot of people fail with carb night who don't pay very close attention to what the book says. And even if you do, you know, when I wrote that, there was. At the time, there wasn't enough information for me to say exactly how many carbs you should eat. And then, of course, when I wrote it, everybody I knew was from a much more active background mm -hmm. than just office workers. So, you know, you get people who get a little confused because they can't eat as much as somebody else. And there's there's distinct reasons for that. But that doesn't mean you should stay away from the carbs. But we can we can go over what those reasons are. Okay. And it's kind of it's touching quite a bit on the new book um, because. I did learn exactly how carbs and glycogen storage, specifically in glycogen in different tissues, regulate a lot of different things. Even glycogen content in your brain at any time during the day kind of dictates how tired you are. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it replenishes when you go to sleep. So when you're when you're done and you're out of out of energy, or you're just super tired, it's because your brain's depleted of glycogen. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and that's why if you stay up 24 hours, you start getting these massive adrenaline dumps because your body's trying to mobilize a lot more energy for the brain to keep functioning mm -hmm. to kind of get over that hump. Well, I think that's good to touch on, you know, the different uh, the, the different tissues in the body that can store it because we often just talk about muscle glycogen because right. when we think about refueling them, and especially in the context of when we talked about the HITS, specifically in the mm -hmm. last episode that you came on uh you know that's what we were referencing it was like okay wipe it out of your muscle stores by right. you know you can do a hit to ensure that you've been wiped out before you have your next bout of carbs um, but where else besides the brain well could yeah, glycogen be stored you can store a little bit in the brain you can store it in the liver uh you can actually store glycogen in fat cells which is really really important to how you get fat and how, or how you stay healthy or how you fix getting how you lose weight if you have put on a lot of weight and then of course muscle tissue and we also have to realize of all those tissues that store carbs 
only the liver can supply it to the rest of the body. Hmm. So let's say your muscles are 100% filled with carbs. They can't release any of that glycogen to then fuel the brain. It's stuck in the muscle once it's there. And that's that's true of everywhere except the liver. The liver can like dump it back out into the blood. Interesting. And is there a strategic way that your body would do that? Like it's going to go here first? Yeah, in general, it's normal steady state kind of activity. Your liver pretty much will dump all of its glycogen reserves. If you go, let's say you go from a normal carb diet and then you do the induction phase of carb night or carb backloading, your liver will get pretty much totally empty of glycogen. Mm-hmm. But if you're not exercising, your skeletal muscle tissue will only lose about 30%. Oh, so your yeah, your liver will totally empty out. Your muscles will not. They'll they'll keep the vast majority of their reserves, and then fat cells will also. It's hard to say they empty out because they convert the glycogen into fatty acids. But you know okay. they'll they'll get rid of their glycogen stores. And is there a reason why we would hold on to some? Is that just like survival? Like we might need it, so we're not going to use well, it all up, or is that? De- like it, it depends. Well, There's yeah. too many things going on. Well, f- the scientific perspective is, I mean, it's enzymatic balance, right? You don't pretty much the body's always regulating enzymes on what it can use and how mm-hmm. based on what you're eating. So if you're eating a diet high in carbs, then the enzymatic system is there to to continually try to cycle through the glycogen in your muscles. Mm-hmm. But if you're not eating carbs, then those glyc- then those enzymes downregulate. <clears throat> Pardon me, and you don't cycle through the glycogen as much. So yeah, at that point, it's holding on to it for whatever extreme situations. So you could, you know, you could pontificate like paleo people like to do and say, oh well, you know, when we lived in the bush or whatever, then your body would try to store the carbs for <laughs> yeah, f- fight or flight. You know, whatever, and that sounds reasonable, mm-hmm. but that's not that's not something you can really test. You can't, you can never test any of those evolutionary arguments. They just, they either sound good or they don't. Mm-hmm. And you know, that sounds sounds reasonable. Yeah. Because let's say you're on a ketogenic diet and you are at that thirty percent, you've lost thirty percent, so you're like seventy percent of your muscular capacity for glycogen. If you work out intensely, like let's say you do a hit. You will blow through those glycogen stores. There's no way at that point to keep them, whether you're male or female. Mm-hmm. So that's why carb night and carb backloading, carb backloading work amazingly well for men and everybody who does really intense resistance training or HIT type training. And that's that's actually it, we'll talk about the the reason, but that's why CrossFit works so well for women mm-hmm. and not as well for men either. Because of those different dynamics and how glycogen is used. Yeah, which I think is a great comparison because we often think of of that activity being better for men. Just for me specifically looking at the visual component for most of the men who who do CrossFit, you know, or have been doing it for a longer time. Um, I think, man, they get so many imbalances just because their rolled shoulders, their chest gets kind of caves in. They don't get any back development. Yeah. It's. I mean, they're gonna suffer. You can usually tell. Yeah. From yeah. <laughs> but women seem to get a much better balance in their upper body, which I don't. That Agreed. I don't fully comprehend what they're doing to change the mechanics that much. Agreed, because the movements are all the same. Yeah, unless they're actually working harder on the pull-ups than the guys do when they kip or something. I. I mean. Possibly. Yeah, it's it's really strange. You just see different muscular development Mm -hmm. as well as you know body composition changes that are good at first for everybody right but as women continue they usually continue to have a really strong physique like a really good lean physique but men you will start to see them get a little soft again and start to actually lose some muscularity and then that's about the point they get injured and Mm -hmm. can't do crossfit anymore anyway something happens yeah yeah Yeah. um so in in regards to you know the the difference in how we would release the glycogen or use the glycogen versus men outside of let's let's give the example of not working out what is there a big difference between how we might burn through or release glycogen versus men no steady state if you're not working out say you take equivalent male female and you know you're all talking percentages so we don't have to talk about how much muscle they carry 
but percentage wise you you stay at a roughly the same usage rate if you're at that bottom level activity um, they usually you, you can actually come up with an equation they they base it off of vo2 how what how what percentage of vo2 max that you're at okay and so walking around sitting all day you're down at 20 20 percent vo2 mm -hmm. max maybe 30 percent it's pretty low at that level everybody pretty much uses glycogen the same and is that why you know we talk about like the 30 grams a day of usable carbs why that's pretty consistent amongst most people or is that unrelated I'm not it it's hard for me to say exactly why that's so consistent because mm -hmm. it just is from the research okay. if you pool all the data people who stay at 30 grams or less um, get get the biggest benefits I would I would guess that's because the maximum amount of glucose that you can form per day from protein is about 45 to 60 grams that's gotcha. max okay and if you want to look at how much glycogen your or how much glucose your brain will burn in a day and then you know try to estimate for storage as well you're up around 100 grams so that 30 grams is just at the limit of keeping your brain fully fueled which always prefers like it always prefers glucose it, it will run on other things mm -hmm. but if there's glucose around it it tries to and that's when ketones build up is when glycogen reserves are too low so that's why a lot of people who go ketogenic and have even small amounts of carbs in their diet or too mm -hmm. much protein they never go ketogenic and you don't need to for fat loss it's not important right. but right. you know that 30 grams is kind of that window that makes up gotcha. for the deficit of what you could make on your own gotcha okay that so like a, a woman might be my a woman might be more at you know 45 grams it really depends on the size of the liver Gotcha. Is, I figured there were other contributing factors yeah. that would make a difference. But liver size, I mean, can vary wildly mm -hmm. amongst people. I mean, you can have an eight-pound liver. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I found that out when I was researching body composition models. There's really no limit to how big a liver can get in a person. The only limit is, well... It, it almost doesn't even depend on your rib cage size. I was about to say, like, how, how much room is there in well, me to, for, to fit the that? The liver will really literally start to rotate and put oh, pressure wow. on the lungs and the heart to continue to grow if it needs to. Which I think is just another great example as to why the scale is misleading. It's like, well, what if that's getting larger? Your organs are actually growing, which is going to make that weight Yeah, and they have more. to. Your to organs, sustain the rest of the yeah the your body. organs have to grow there's a very there's um when i was modeling the body the one thing that i found very interesting is they try to come up with different ways to estimate liver size and whatever and the strongest equation that i found that modeled the most data whether somebody's super fat or somebody's super muscular with a small amount of fat liver size directly relates to how much lean skeletal muscle tissue you have so the bigger you get muscularly, the bigger that liver has to get, mm -hmm. which is why we don't – which is why most of those people, most of the systems out there, most of the advice is just so wrong because they assume if you lose 40 pounds of fat and you stay the same weight that you gained 40 pounds of muscle. It's like, right. no, you probably gained 25 pounds of muscle and then the other right. you know, 15 went to your internal organs and your liver and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense so, when you when you think about it like that, mm -hmm. because there's less, I think there's less confusion as to well why is this showing up in this number? Like it doesn't make right. any sense. Yeah, and your muscles, I mean, they produce a lot of toxins, so there's a lot of nutrients flowing in, and there's a lot of nutrients flowing out, and the body has to handle all of that. The mm -hmm. the muscles don't have the machinery to clean everything up. There, you know, it has to be cleaned up elsewhere. And then absorbing food, you know, is a process that requires the intestines and the stomach and the intestinal tract and the duodenum. So those things also have to compensate. So, you know, whereas fat is pretty static in a lot of ways, it okay. doesn't cycle through a lot. Well, it doesn't create a lot of waste products. Okay. So there's not as much cleanup. You can be super fat, but your muscle tissue will still dictate how big your organs are going to get. Interesting. Yeah. Which which also makes sense into someone who, you know, perhaps did gain weight steadily and they're going to need more mass to support 
that weight, like to carry it around. Are you talking fat or muscle? Or both? Well, both. So if someone mm-hmm. were to steadily gain fat over time, there would be some residual muscle growth to help support They're, Correct. carrying around, maybe just walking around yeah. with that weight. It all grows together. Yeah. You know, you're propor- proportionally, even if you're just lazy office worker and you gain 50 pounds, mm-hmm. there's a good chance five or six of that is muscle tissue. Right. I, I mean, all, you can't essentially your organ tissue won't grow without your muscle tissue growing to support everything and you you cannot gain mass without that entire complement of growth happening mm-hmm. so you, you can shift what grows most obviously right. yes. <laughs> um, but but there's definite limitations on you know that was one of the hardest things is figuring out okay well for somebody to gain a pound of muscle how much weight are they going to gain in their organ mass at the same time oh that makes sense so yeah modeling all that out was a serious pain in the ass but but know, it makes way more sense to break it down that way mm-hmm. you get a much clearer picture of what's happening why so there aren't these question marks right you know a month into it you're like well how come it says this right. when you can't you know you can't see what's going on inside you can only look at yourself in the mirror and see that oh my muscles look bigger or my stomach looks bigger right because i put on some fat um, so kind of under having a picture of what that what could be going on inside, I think, yeah. is helpful. It's, you know, it's complex dynamic because you've mm-hmm. got fat inside your stomach cavity. You've got fat can accumulate around the heart in extreme circumstances. Mm-hmm. Your muscle actually can get marbled with fat. So, you know, it's it's a pretty intense dynamic to try to figure all that stuff out. And then, you know, that's why these questions of, you know, glycogen usage and storage mm-hmm. are also somewhat complex because if you're overweight and not exercising, that's a completely different environment than somebody who, than a male who is exercising heavily resistance training and doesn't have a lot of body fat and isn't very sedentary. And that's different. That's completely different, again, from a woman who's trying to use steady state cardio mm-hmm. to then lose weight. And that that's a to- those three environments are completely different when it comes to glycogen dynamics they're completely different and what's interesting is the woman who a woman let's say who runs even two hours a day Mm -hmm. steady state cardio say 60 percent of vo2 max her glycogen usage is about equivalent to the person sitting in a chair wow it's not that different that's sad right and that's why they have a really hard time losing body fat because body fat accumulation and regulation is directly tied to glycogen storage. I mean, they're, they're intimately related. Which makes sense mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, which is a good segue into, okay, we talked about how, you know, the difference, the, the lack of difference between men and women who mm-hmm. you know are inactive. Um, and then we can get into the different types of activities that right. a woman could do. Yeah, a guy running 60% VO2 max two hours a day, they're using a lot more glycogen than their counterpart who's sitting at the office. There, that's where you get a big difference. Right. And it's, I, you know, unfortunately, I tend to think in equations and curves. So I, like, picture in my mind <laughs> what, the, what the difference yeah. is in how you use glycogen if you're male or female. But essentially, you could imagine almost a flat line in the rate that you'll use glycogen if you're a woman mm-hmm. from 0% VO2 max, which you, you're dead, so... So, so maybe a little, little higher than zero percent VO two max. But from sitting in an office chair, all the way up to about sixty percent VO two max. So you could imagine that as a running pace of about four or five miles an hour, maybe up to six, okay. depending on who you are. So that entire l- range in there, you're using almost no glycogen if you're a woman. Very, very so little. So sad. Yeah, and then it starts to go up a little bit as you get over 60%, but still not much. And then all of a sudden, at the 80 or 90% mark, huge jump. And at that point, at about 80 to 90% VO2 max, so this is like really hard resistance sets, this is HIIT training, this mm-hmm. is sprinting. At that 80 to 90% VO2 max, you're using glycogen exactly like a male. Interesting. So, and, But ma- the male curve... You know, once they get over 30%, it just starts climbing. So there's this huge difference in how much glycogen you'll use between male and female, depending on that range. So you could you could see a guy, your, let's say your significant other runs to maintain their weight. Well, you know, they you run with them two hours, 
whatever, mm-hmm. you, you're you on their exact same schedule, you run with them, but they get results that you don't see. And it's very confusing and very frustrating. Well, he's he's blowing through his glycogen stores, so when he has his normal dietary diet meals, all he's doing is filling those back up. Right. Well, if you're not using your your muscle glycogen and then you eat more carbs, which you know, I know a lot of a lot of people, male and female, that after they run or something like that, they're like, Oh, well I've gotta have my carbs. Well yeah, you a know? lot of I used to work with the marathon runner. This was right yeah. when I was, you know, learning about carb night and I mean all the, the running diets have to do with eating carbs yeah well look at team and training it's all when, carbs when team and training specifically is you know they target women the nike women's marathon is mm. um the, a lot of team and training participants run that they have like half the slots yeah. available for it and during all their training sessions i'm not kidding they have bowls of m&ms and yeah. gummy bears set up along the training courses Yep, it's true because they're like you constantly have to resupply your glycogen stores well the dirty secret, I guess. That it, it, it's it's actually a, a secret amongst researchers because this is old research that was lost in the 60s and they're just now starting to look at it again and realizing what they ignored. The problem is, let's say your your muscles filled up with glycogen, which it most likely is if you're on a carb-based diet mm-hmm. and you're sitting around or, it, yeah, you're sitting around. And then you're a female and you go out and you run for your team and training or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you load up with carbs to quote unquote, you know, compensate for what you use. The problem is you didn't use any of your intramuscular carbs. And so muscle tissue is responsible for the usage of 80% of the carbs you ingest if you're in a healthy state. So that means you're cycling through muscle glycogen. Mm -hmm. Well, 40% of that will get oxidized right away. The other 40% gets stored. Well, the problem is if your glycogen levels are still full, which they will be if you're a female running at that moderate intensity, the, the carbs have no place to go other than they'll fill up the liver a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it gets stored in the fat cells. Fat cells actually store glycogen. The problem is once it's in a fat cell for storage, the glycogen starts to convert to fatty acids. And everybody's like, you know, a lot of experts say, well, that doesn't happen because it takes too much energy. The problem is it's actually an energy-producing process. So the the glycogen turning into fatty acids actually produces energy to then store the fatty acids more effectively. Oh, crap. Right. <laughs> so if, if you're a female doing this type of moderate training, mm-hmm. that's why you will not lose body fat. You have to go to these extreme scenarios dietary-wise right. to make that happen. And and those still will derail you. So let's say you drop to 1,600 calories. You're still doing this running. And then a lot of those calories are low fat, so you're eating a lot of carbs. Right. Well, your muscles are still filled up. Your body's trying to rely on body fat. So what it does is it diverts those carbs into the fat cells so they can become fat for the next for the next running session. Yeah. Well, uh, So you, you either hit this steady state, and the reason the steady state shifts is your body will actually at that point – start to then whittle away your muscle tissue. So if if Cuz that it would prefer to do that then Right. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it's just well running in 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 and of itself decreases muscle mass. And it's not necessarily always about the muscle tissue being cannibalized. There's a shift in the muscle fibers. And that shift for endurance training is makes the muscles more compact and they can't store as much glycogen. Mm. So now more has to be stored in the fat cells. Right, I gotcha. And if you want to see a difference, then all you have to do is Google from the last Olympics. Google, and I think we talked about this on the we last did, podcast. Yeah. Google the female long jumpers. Mm-hmm. Google what they look like because all of their cardio training is sprinting. Right. They do very little endurance training. It's all sprinting. And then Google the Olympic female marathon runners. Yeah. You will see bodies that are completely different. And, you know, just judge for yourself. Which one would you like to look look like? Yeah. Which one do you think will have a healthier, more active lifestyle for longer? Right. Y- you know, it, you can just look and tell. You know, the, the long jumpers are muscled. They're lean. Yep. They're very healthy. They're going to be very healthy for a long time assuming they don't become couch potatoes <laughs> but the marathon runners i mean they they're yeah. emaciated they look like they have been 
you know, well, I just, incarcerated in a bad situation. Yeah, I kind, of, I kind of picture like if, if either of those people were to, I were to walk up to them in, in just an everyday situation and I were to see, you know, the high jumper, long jumper, any of those people who just do more of those sprint activities, see them, I would like, whoa, they, they look great. They work mm-hmm. out. Whereas if yeah. I were to see the marathon runner, I would just think that, you know, they didn't eat, they either didn't eat a lot of food um, or something might actually be wrong. Yeah. Because they're so small. Yeah. Yeah, my first thought was... Like, I'd want to give them a sandwich. Right. You would assume (laughs) that they have some sort of wasting disease or something. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And and I, I for one, you know, appreciate a good backside, and and you don't get that from running. Right. I I mean, I just appreciate a good shapely form, male or female. I mean, you know, if, if you look at statues of the ancient Greeks, I mean, there's clearly yes that's true you know what used to be a natural physique for men and women they didn't just imagine that a, a human being could look that way when right. they were they carving it did. into marble they just did yeah they actually saw humans who look like that right. you know it that was, was the everyday norm yeah. mm-hmm. same thing during the renaissance and right. you know the renaissance you're talking about a thousand year difference mm-hmm. in those timelines and people still looked that way so there's a way we should look naturally right and, you know, I don't think that's body shaming. I don't think that's, you know, right. anything like that. I think it's it's just being honest about the state of affairs today. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, so let's move into, like, an, another example of a, a different type of workout and how glycogen might be used. You know, we gave the example of, of running and mm-hmm. how you you're, might never get – you never might never access glycogen stores. If you're a woman. Right. If you're a woman. Um, but let's get into resistance training. And we talked a little bit about this when we refer to the hit in the last uh, episode, but mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of different approaches to resistance training that someone could take. Well, yeah, I mean, you can go in and piddle around, and right, you're never going to hit that that intensity, it, which is right. something that we talk we referred to as sort of the the point at which you would access right. glycogen, and there's and how far into a workout that might happen. Yeah, there's there's different ways to measure intensity. And again, being the physicist, I like to try to <laughs> – I, I want a very, very consistent, at least quantitative way for people to think about that, the, or qualitative way. The quantitative way is power output. It's really all about power output. Mm-hmm. as you, And power is about the amount of work you do and how fast you can do it. So if you do a lot of work in a really short amount of time, that's massive power output. That directly – relates to VO2 max, which we just, or VO2 use, which we just talked about is mm-hmm. glycogen usage. So there you just want to make sure you're always trying to get as much work done in the shortest amount of time possible. So you can see right, right, right away that disqualifies running. Right. Because running is a pretty significant amount of work over two hours, but it's spread out consistently over two hours. Right. It's very, very, very low power output. Well, I mean, at that point, even even in the training examples that I've seen, having worked with some in the, in the long, you know, a long, mm-hmm. long time ago, you know, their goal is to pace themselves so that they can sustain right. that amount of time. Right. So they're purposefully holding back a little bit to be able to have that, mm-hmm. that those long duration sessions. And that's why we see big differences between bicycling is another one where you can actually have high power output for a long period of time and that's because wind resistance people don't think about when you're on the bike wind resistance actually increases the power output by the cube of the velocity so cube so you know 10 10 squared well there's 10 10 squared if you're going 10 miles an hour say it's only 100 well 10 cubed is a thousand so that's a massive amount of power output as, as you go up in speed. And then if you compare that to just say one mile an hour faster, you have 11, then you have 121, mm-hmm. and that's going to be like 1,500. So you went up right. 50% <laughs> in your power output just by going one mile an hour faster. On a bicycle, it's a huge difference. Huge. So, I, I, I literally just picture when I, again, this was pre-carb night, when I was trying to just find any way to just exercise more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ride my bike along. I lived in San Francisco, still do, but lived in San Francisco. I'd run my bike along what's called the Marina Green. So it, it's the very inside of the bay on, on on the east side of the of the Golden Gate Bridge. So mm-hmm. I would try to ride my bike to the bridge, 
and I would park at the bottom and then run, attempted to run across the bridge. I never made it all the way across. Um, but going that direction towards the ocean with the wind yeah. coming in was like, I there were yeah. times where I didn't think I was moving. Yeah. And I was working so hard, but I'm like, I'm actually not going anywhere so because the wind against me was so intense. Right. Yeah. Coming back was like the wind was pushing me along, so it was super right. easy, which was great at the end, but mm. that's why I never made it across the bridge. And I didn't have any gas left. Yeah. And I was done. <laughs> that's why you experience so much. That's why you experience very different results on a bicycle compared mm-hmm. to running. And it's funny, they still compare those two exercises for a lot of endurance stuff, and they're very, very different because of the power output. That's a big difference. So in the gym, what that would translate to hit, we talked about, you know, you have massive power output for a short period of time. Well, you just blew through a lot of glycogen reserves. I mean, Mm -hmm. your body has to. It has no choice. And then in between, you're still using some of it, and then you hit it again, and you're, you're constantly... You're constantly pushing into those glycogen reserves. And resistance training works the same way. We don't think about it as maybe high intensity like some running would be. Some people think running is more intense because it's longer duration without breaks. Right. But it's actually not. It's much, much lower intensity if you talk about power. Right. So that set, you know, you that's one reason, you know, working really hard on a set helps you blow through glycogen levels. You're doing a lot of work in a short amount of time. And that's also why we can see equivalent when people are like, well, should you use light reps or light high weight. reps with lightweight mm-hmm. or heavy heavy weight with lower reps? Well, it turns out the power output is about equivalent. Although the lighter lighter weight with more reps, if you're trying to do them as fast as possible, would be a little better for blowing out your glycogen mm, stores. Gotcha. But you know, so that's what you're looking for. And then if we look at, you know, the interesting thing is you get something like CrossFit that comes around that gives us massive amounts of data on what happens when you put people mm-hmm. through a paradigm where they're doing a lot of that high power output. Like, you know, CrossFit is high power output. You know, there's, oh, there's yeah, no, no doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's high power output. So you look at that scenario, and that's why women – can be so successful because they're doing high power output for a long duration. At the end of that workout, they're going to have blown through their carb supply or their glycogen mm-hmm. supplies. There's just there's no way around it. Whereas you know guys can get away more easily with workouts in the gym yeah. to get that done. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I try to think of. I mean, I felt I experienced this a lot when when I first started experimenting with the shockwave protocol. And how, you know, having... Very, that's designed for maximum power output. When it, it really, especially with, with the larger muscle groups, it, I feel like it really mimics a hit because mm-hmm. you're having you're this intense exertion. And I mean, at the end, and I, I clearly remember you saying this when I was trying to figure out how to, how to you know, choose my weight increments and to know if I had completed that, that set, mm-hmm. especially the elect PSR sets uh, appropriately. Like you should be tight, like you should be winded. Yeah. Usually, yeah. time I there would be like, oh, I'd, I'd break a sweat at the end, mm-hmm. um, and I would have that. I would be completely out of breath, and then I would take a rest, and then I would do right. it again, and yeah. it really, very much mimicked a hit. I fe- in fact, there were certain times, especially in the larger leg movements, like mm-hmm. when I did the leg press, I was more winded after that than I would in trying to do <laughs> a hit, an actual hit. Yeah. I well, mean, I'm like trying to climb out of the leg press, and I like can't catch my breath yeah we uh, he was on a show once a long time ago when i had um biojacked oh yeah when i did the biojack show it's hadi alukic who's an mma fighter mm-hmm. turned into a power lifter now he just walks around looking like a bodybuilder <laughs> but it was it was funny because it, when he normally worked out he's like i never sweat and i used to train with him and he just never really sweat very much mm-hmm. And then he started doing shockwave training, and it looked like somebody dumped water on him <laughs> through the workouts. And he just sweat for the first time, and he loved it because he sweat. He's like, oh, my God, I'm sweating. Well, because it's a good mm, – Yeah. Well, I mean, I used to use it as a qualifier of that was a good workout. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is I would uh, – then switching to, to shockwave, I would only experience that, you know, in doing the elect PSR sets. Mm-hmm. But then it, w- it would stop when I would stop. You know, it would happen immediately, and then I would it would be over. But that was harder, again, mentally for me to wrap around. Like, 
I leave and I was like, oh, I don't actually have to take a shower. Yeah. Like I sweated a little bit, but not enough to where before I was like drenched. Right. Because, you know, I was completely overdoing it. Which is interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So and that was one of the guiding principles there is, you know, power output makes a huge difference. Uh, it, It is all the difference, particularly if your goal is trying to control your body weight while you're looking at athletic performance mm-hmm. or you're trying to decrease body weight. I, th- I think that's why we don't see a lot of difference in these studies. And I made that mistake when I wrote Carb Night. I had an entire chapter about it. It doesn't matter how much exercise you do. Your body weight doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And that's because at the time, all the studies that I could dig up that compared the two populations, they used a carb-based diet. And they didn't control for glycogen usage just because it's, to be honest, it's still not on anybody's mind. Right. You know, there's uh, the the new carb night will probably change a lot of conversations, especially as, I mean, let's just be honest, as other people write their own versions of it, mm-hmm. it'll increase the conversation quite a bit about that, which, you know, for better or for worse, whatever, you know, people do that. But that's to my ultimate goal, that's a mm-hmm. good thing because that's what people need to start to understand is happening there. Like glycogen regulation is everything. Right. So is there, would you say that there's, you know, we talked a little bit about someone who is healthy versus someone who might be overweight in how they could store, well, I guess store and release the glycogen. Like if they're, if they're, okay, well, I guess let's just use this in the context of somebody who's using carbonite. Wait, so is this the fat cell thing I told you before we – are we kind of going down that road? The fat cell growth yes. stuff? Okay. I, totally well, fine. Well, yeah, well, okay, I, more – I won't go into that completely. That's people, fine. People so, okay, so let me think of how, how I can rephrase this okay. question. Um, Sorry, everybody. I'll have to wait. <laughs> Planted a seed, teaser alert. All right. Um, so for – I'm trying to think of like client examples where this might happen. So it's hard for somebody to know if they're depleted or not. Right. You know, we can we can go seven if days. If they've never experienced it, definitely. Right. Well, you could – so that was a problem with carbonate. Just to touch on that point, mm-hmm. you could go 10 days without carbs if you're an office worker. And this, this derailed quite a few people, right. and I didn't understand why. You could go 10 days, and you, you'll hardly wipe out your, your muscular glycogen stores. Right. Your liver will be depleted, but it, it can't store that much. Right. And this is what I was kind of missing – you know, because, you know, a lot of people I worked out with and myself or worked with mm-hmm. and myself included or resistance train. Right. When I'm doing carb night. So, man, yeah, I mean, you blow through everything. Right. Yeah. It's going to happen. Right. So somebody who who isn't isn't that active, let's just use them, start mm-hmm. off with them as an example. Or even just piddles around in okay. the gym. A little yeah. bit. Uh, but not reaching that intensity. That mm-hmm. would right. open the, the access to the glycogen stores. Right. Um you know, there's no way for them to know if they've – unless they've experienced depletion. Correct. Which, which the symptoms of, for lack of a better word, could show up in a few different ways. I mean, I've heard of, like, brain fogginess. Well, in the gym where you – so your liver is pretty well regulated when you're in the gym. Let's say your liver is kind of full. Mm-hmm. If, if you're in the gym and you want to know if you're blowing through your reserves – your liver's pretty well regulated. It can only dump go so fast, mm-hmm. and it takes a long time to get to the muscles. Um, but if you're blowing through your muscle reserves, you'll literally be in the middle of some set, and then all of a sudden, your muscles just stop. Yeah. No matter how much willpower you have, even if you have a spotter helping you move <laughs> through the movement, your muscle's not doing anything yeah. anymore. Yeah. That's you. You're out. Yeah. You're done at that point. Yeah. And that that took me. A while to experience. Mm. Um, but I also feel like for some, especially if they're not experienced lifters, there's, they're going to hit a di- level of discomfort before they hit that point. Because a lot of people don't experience... Discomfort how? Discomfort of someone who's not like a veteran of working out or challenging mm. their body in that way. Their body's going to tell them that they're uncomfortable before they hit that intensity. That depleted state. Yeah, you, get you know, to... like I've worked out with clients where they're like, I can't do that anymore. I'm like, yeah. you physically can do that. I promise you, you're going to be able to do it. But they hit this. You get tired. Dis- they get tired. Fast. It's uncomfortable. Like my training partner now, he's a little overweight, but he eats carbs every day. And I mean, he's killing me on the volume right. because well, I'm he on... has energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm on carb night right now. And I just, 
you know, he blows me out. I'm getting more and more tired, and I I hit the point almost every workout where mm-hmm. I cannot physically move the weight anymore. Yeah. And I just have I have to stop or I have to take a really long rest. Right. But you're comfortable with getting to that mm-hmm. point. And yeah, so right. that's where I think there's that, that's one thing to look at is people who aren't used to working out or, you know, especially if they don't have like a trainer or someone to, you know, make them feel secure in the fact that they can do more. Right. They're not going to know what that reaching that intensity is even like because they're uncomfortable pushing themselves to that point. Right. They usually do a little bit and then they get tired and it's the mindset of I've done enough. Right. I'm tired. I've done enough. Right. And and we want to differentiate for muscular health that's mm-hmm. probably that's fine that's sufficient yeah, yeah you probably did do enough mm-hmm. but if your goal is to be right. like you know the infinite health scenario that we talked about before mm-hmm. that's not enough right. you need, especially if you have excess body fat right i mean you or you just want to make sure you never get excess body fat right depending on and want to eat carbs right yeah, so we were talking about the different scenarios for different people and what it means mm-hmm. before the show. I don't know if you want to go over that or not or just stay on the glycogen track that you're... Oh, I feel like that could tie in kind of well, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just... It, it, it's pretty simple because we were talking about in the new book, it has, it has two distinct uh, people that it's trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. So there's there's people who aren't sick yet. And by not sick, I mean they're not sick. So that means probably people less than 22 years old in the United States. Everybody 22 years old and up, I guarantee you, is sick. It may not they may not have the obvious symptomology yet, but mm-hmm. they're sick. And if you're younger than that and you're not sick yet, let's say your parent and you want to make sure your kids never get sick or they're not they're not sick yet. You know, if you're 12 years old and you're 100 pounds overweight, you're probably sick as well. Right. Yeah. But let's let's assume you're healthy. Maybe you're in your 20s, completely healthy. You can always stay healthy by never eating carbs. That's a scenario that will actually work. You'll have a really hard time gaining any body fat. You'll also have a hard time gaining muscle mass, mm-hmm. um, but you won't run into any of these health problems that we see today. You'll never get diabetes you will there's you know a 90% chance that you won't get cancer at all instead of the 50% chance if you're right. a male or 33% chance if you're female that you will yeah you'll you'll have less than a 10% risk of cancer you won't get alzheimers it's almost guaranteed to be impossible at that point uh, you know there's just all kinds of things that will never happen to you and you you won't get fat you you might in your like if you're eight, 70, 80, whatever you, it, it is possible, but it it will actually be difficult for you. It will mm-hmm. be a hard process yeah. to maintain, and you won't have hunger issues. You'll probably you'll hit a steady state, and you just won't get hungry. You will eat the amount of food that you need to eat, and your hunger signals will just turn off. So if if you're starting life in that scenario, you could do a ketogenic diet for the rest of your life and be healthy. And then the other audience that the book speaks to and the other difference that needs to be explained is if you're already deep into that sick state. So let's say you've already accumulated a little bit of belly fat. That's kind of the first first symptom symptom, that you'll notice. And that's for male and female. So you've developed a little bit of central, central fat. At that point, you have to use different tools because you're, you're now sick. So we Mm -hmm. have to repair damage. And part of that damage is in the muscles, and part of that damage is in the fat cells that you've created that are there that are going to sit empty mm-hmm. uh, over time because th- there is somewhat of a body weight thermostat that's been created by that excess body fat coupled with what's going on in your, your skeletal muscle tissue. So in that scenario, a ketogenic diet will not keep you healthy indefinitely. You will run into trouble. And y- you can actually see that now from some ketogenic veterans – who have been preaching ketogenic-only diet. They swear that's all they've done, and they've started to gain weight back, and they yeah. don't know why. And they don't know how to fix it now because they're so sold on this ketogenic right. idea. Right. Um, it will not keep you healthy. It's not possible for it to do so. You have to do things to essentially trick your body, and that's where carbonite comes in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it creates hormonal scenarios that just don't exist otherwise. They will never exist naturally other than through this manipulation. So those are the you know two things that we have to look at. 
I, and I think those are those are very important conversations to know where you are and what you can do to mitigate those things. Right, right. Well, that would be, I mean, helping helping to deter, helping someone to determine where they were at, where they are now, so that they know which which direction to right. follow will be appropriate for them. Right, and if you're an athlete, then you've got a totally different set of parameters you now have to look at. Right, which gets um, confusing. Right. But which, it's also not confusing when you think about, you know, not everyone can do mm-hmm. the same thing, and there are different approaches right. that people are going to have to take. Yeah, um, that's why the software on. makes it easy. You just click, 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 and it spits out the right thing for you. You don't even have to think about it. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and what's I think maybe four people have seen that interface. Mm-hmm. You're being one of them, so yeah. you kind of have an idea of how easy it is to to get through there. And very yeah. Click, well, it's click. almost like too easy to where I'm like, why couldn't we just do that before? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the the back end is yeah. But I also think it's going to, it will, you know, once people start to use it, it will uh, sort of bring up questions around things that they may have, you know, had misconceptions about before um, that we can, you know, perhaps touch upon in another one because I don't want to spill the beans on things if we're not ready to do that. Yeah. Um, There's. But, but I like the fact that, you know, being that we're talking about glycogen use, like that's one of the things that it closely looks at um, mm-hmm. given your activity level and, and the types of activities that you're doing um, right. and, and that you have all those options for choosing the type of activity so that it knows, okay, mm-hmm. well, if you're doing this, then you're probably using things in this way. Right. Because that's something I can't do in a book. Right. I can't tell the reader how many carbs they should eat right. a week. Well, because there's a, there's a million scenarios. It's There's no right. way there's to the, know. Right. And you can't make a chart for it. Right. You know, there's really no way to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why people fail, right? When they have carb carb loads that are too big, or they're an office worker, and then they go out and try to pound food like their friend who's <laughs> trying to be a bodybuilder, right? You know, those are totally different scenarios where I couldn't, yeah, make the carb. You know, I'll be the first to admit there's a lot of misconceptions in carb night and carb acclimating just because I didn't understand. Right. It's just, um, well, that's the thing to keep in mind is that there's right. always new information coming out, new research that's happening. Um, right. But, and I mean, carbonate is surprisingly robust. Yep. I mean, I got pretty close. The missing link there was not understanding how to recommend the carbs. Right. And, and part of that understanding was that just the information wasn't there Yeah. for me to do that effectively. And then the software wasn't there either. Obviously. Which, yeah. which is, yeah, really mm-hmm. the the key part. Right. So just to to wrap things up a little bit, uh, you know, when, we, when I'm, or just say somebody is, you know, they've read Carb Night, they want to give this a go. Um, let's let's say that they're, you know, a moderately healthy person. So maybe they're carrying a little bit of body fat, right. um, not not a lot, and they go through the ten days. Well, I'm just trying to think of of. No, I'm just laughing because I saw this. I saw this thing on fat shaming the other day. That's why I mentioned oh. it earlier oh, okay. and said I'm not fat shaming because gotcha. <laughs> the, the conversation was hilarious about the amount of body weight they were carrying. I just, it was well, funny. it's a hard one. I mean, I actually have a, a, no, a yeah, whole separate podcast episode that I, I want to right. go into about that because there's, right. a, there's a lot of different directions that that conversation could go in yeah um and and i see it you know i have a different perspective on it than somebody right. else might and it's not because i'm you know fit and healthy it's right. it's because i care about the person and, yeah. and their well-being what? and more so around that so i think well i'll just make this one statement and we can move back on <laughs> but i think it completely centers around if people feel ashamed you know if they do feel ashamed of their weight or what have you or they're self-conscious about it you know, it doesn't. This doesn't exonerate the people who would make fun, but mm-hmm. the real feeling of shame is coming from the fact that you think there's no way to fix it. Right. Like a lot of these conversations I hear is, "This is it. A lot of bodies existed. A lot of different body fats and can be healthy," which is false. That is a false statement. Um, but they're like, "So you just have to accept how fat you are." Is basically what they're saying, and it's, and that is a sign of defeat. You've given up. You think that there is no solution, and mm-hmm. that's that's wrong. There is a solution, right? So that's all I want to say. Like people feel people people feel shamed because they think there's nothing they can do, right? And that's the or entire... they've tried so many things, right? And now they're on this yo-yo path. That is right. Yeah. Regardless, they've yeah. they've just given up. They think there is. They really do think they're stuck. So, yeah. which is frustrating. I get it. Yeah, and that's the whole message: is you're not. You're never. You can always fix it. Mm-hmm. 
greet. There is a way. Right. Always. <laughs> Always. Um, so I'm trying to think of a, of, of a, a tool or a means of gauging. There's not, is there, to know if you're depleted. Besides if you go work out and you know how to reach that intensity. Well, so here's a problem. Okay. <laughs> and this is, again, why I had to design the software system because it has to monitor a person over time. Mm-hmm. Because some people always ride around mm-hmm. at like 20% glycogen levels. Oh, wow. They just always wipe them out. And then other people are highly resistant to mobilizing their glycogen levels. And male or female, you know, there's, okay. a, there's a big spread in there. So the mm-hmm. software helps me to track what kind of person you are in that regards. Gotcha. I mean, I'll get it. I'll, I'll do a good job out of the gate, but it has to follow you to understand. So over time, it might be able to get better at. Yes, it will constantly I get gotcha. better. Okay. It'll cool. And it'll go both ways. You know, if you can use more carbs, it will give you more carbs. If, okay. Or it, it will say you can use them. And if not, it'll take them out. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, there's. There's no, I mean, other than a muscle biopsy. Right. There's no way to know. Right. I mean, you you could feel, say you feel exhausted in the middle of a workout and you're not used to, or you hit that point where you just don't feel like you could flex anymore. There's mm-hmm. a difference between hitting exhaustion in a set. You right. know, there's it's like true. creatine phosphate levels have depleted essentially and you just can't get energy to the working part of the muscle fast enough. That doesn't have anything to do with glycogen stores mm-hmm. or even oxygen. Um oxygen supply you know you're just you run out of creatine phosphate that's the only thing that depletes but you know there comes a point in the workout where you physically no matter how much you try to will yourself through it you Mm -hmm. cannot move like the muscle has stopped yeah and at that point you've you've run out of fuel period there's just nothing and that to me that usually happens on you know I'll, i'll just done a set of eight to ten reps and then the next set, I like hit three reps and I'm done. Yeah, I, I can't do it again. And then the next set after that, even resting, I'll hit three reps and it just stops. Yeah, and that's how I can tell. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've pushed through that sense of exhaustion on right. the other sets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if, if you're not experienced, it's hard to know. If if you're running at like sixty percent VO two max yeah. or even seventy percent, you're a woman. Mm-hmm. I can just tell you the easy gauge there is you didn't use any glycogen. Right, right. So right, that right. one's <laughs> right. That one's pretty pretty easy for the male. It's more complex because they do have a variable rate through the entire spectrum. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so women, it's really easy. Like if you're busting ass doing hits, resistance training, or doing CrossFit, which I'm not recommending. I'm just saying if you're doing CrossFit. Or you're out doing wind sprints mm-hmm. or fartlek training, which is kind of like hit yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You're blowing through your glycogen right. stores. It's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But everything else you do, it's probably. probably not tapping into them at all. Right. Right. So with the goal of blowing through those before your next carb night. Yeah. You need, those to are be... the, you need some qual- – those are the qualifying factors. Right. And so you're probably – you're more likely for that to happen. Right. And if you're not doing that – you know, let's say you are doing that, then you probably got – 400 grams of carbs that you can just blow through mm-hmm. you could even save five to six hundred because you'll you can pee out about 100 grams through oh, the night so that explains a little bit yeah so you, <laughs> that's why your urine smells weird after a big carb it night really does so you like you can you can pee out you know 100 grams mm-hmm. through the night and then um your liver will store about 100 grams and then you probably store 400 grams or so in your skeletal muscle tissue um so you could eat a little bit more than that because mm-hmm. then a bunch of it gets oxidized. So if you're blowing through it, say you're female, then you're looking at a limit of about 600 grams if you blew through your carb reserves. If you didn't, you're looking at about 150 to 200 grams. Yeah, that's so what I was going to guess. Huge, huge difference. That's huge. Well, yeah, that's a comparison to like, you know, Two things with your meal versus like right. you don't stop eating yeah. for the rest of the night. Yeah, Huge it, difference. It's a big difference. And then the amount of muscle, you know, it's going to vary and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's – and that's your max. I mean, and if you go over that, you right. can actually start a process of expanding your fat cells. Luckily, they won't fill up, mm-hmm. you know, which which is a good thing. But you could expand them. Okay. Um, so 
you know, I just the, the difference is massive. Yeah. And then you might be somebody who just doesn't mobilize much at all, male or female. So if you're an office worker, you might get to carb night, and the most you could have is like maybe 100 grams, which pff, right, not even much of a carb night at that point. Right, it's you might true. As well, just be ketogenic and call it a day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you still might need them to some extent yeah, or at uh, some you point. Do. It, it does. It does cause hormonal reactions. It's yeah. just not a lot. You're not going to be hanging out with your bodybuilder friend, right? Slamming down a cheesecake. Right. Which, that is true. Yeah. That is I true. Mean, so have, you know, it's the context of of your lifestyle. Where you're at, you know, health-wise, physically, mm-hmm. uh, in starting it is going to be a better gauge of what your baseline needs might be. Probably earing on the lower end to be safe. Yeah. If, and then go from there. Right. If if you're a runner or – so female runner, female sedentary, and you're doing carb night, those two scenarios, you're probably looking at maybe 150 grams max yeah. on carb night. Max. Um. And, and the reason you won't pee out as much sugar in that scenario is because you can't get as big of the insulin spikes because you can't eat as much of the carbs. So oh, the, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so the amount of glucose you can okay. pee out goes up with how many carbs you can eat. So you won't lose – so you have a very low level of carbs that you can really eat at that point. Um, but if you're a female or male – we'll just stick with female. Their numbers – they're – size is a little more consistent if you're a female then doing heavy resistance training or sprinting or doing a lot of hits through Mm -hmm. the week well it doesn't have to be a lot if that's your paradigm then you're looking at being able to eat you know four to five hundred grams of carbs right and then if you're a male at that point that's very active then it's just totally dependent on the amount of muscle tissue you have that makes sense because there's more room to store yeah yeah Okay. Well, I hope that clears paints a, a clear picture um, right. for some people if, they, if they're if they're wondering, you know, what what their ranges should be, or perhaps if they've been, you know, going on to the higher ends, why it hasn't been working, or perhaps there's a slower process, or some weeks they notice something, and other weeks they don't, because those yeah. numbers will will vary greatly. Yeah, and it it also helps to explain some counterintuitive things like how can you get fatter if you're running several times a week right and you know that's really simple because every time you eat those carbs you they had no place to go but your fat cells which expanded them so Mm -hmm. they're trying to fill up even more yeah so it it explains what seems counterintuitive when actually it's completely intuitive when you you look at how the body stores glycogen Mm -hmm. it's very interesting i mean it, it answers so many questions but at the same time it it uh it it sparks more questions for me. Well, but I mean, yeah. more along the lines of you know, what I get asked a lot and not mm. being able to properly answer because, A, the information is just not available yet or we would need to answer 100 more questions before I could even go there. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's, it's not straightforward and it does take some trial and error. Yeah, I, I think it's funny when I see some of these, if it fits your macros or mm-hmm. there's a bodybuilder now who publish their own version of carb backloading that has a carb recommendation thing. I look at the information they collect. It's total junk. There's no way they could give you a recommendation of carbs on the data they collect. It's just not possible. It's like if your whole shtick is if it fits your macros, you should probably understand how the body stores macros. And I haven't (laughs) seen that in anybody who's Mm -hmm. preaching that they don't seem to comprehend at all. So it's it's like where do you – where are you even getting your recommendation? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I just have to admit my recommendations in the past were just guesswork, and it's because I'd worked with enough people, and I knew how they were working out. I had kind of a good sense of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I just otherwise, I don't know how you could, you just couldn't recommend. I mean, the amount of data I collect, to me, it seems a little annoying. Yeah. But like you, I have to have it right. if I'm going to make something that works for you. It's true. Well, and that's you know, why that's, things take so long. Yeah. Versus it, somebody who's when you drink coffee changes the amount of carbs you can use and where they're going to go. So if you're not asking somebody what their coffee or caffeine schedule is, there's no way you can tell them. Or if you don't know their eating schedule, it's true. Your eating schedule will change the dynamics of how you store these things. I mean, all of these matter. So it's it amazes me that there's so many recommendations like the U.S. guidelines like. I mean, just start there. It's like, oh, 40% carbs. Of course, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> what the? There's no. 
No, 90% of Americans cannot ingest 40% of their diet as carbs. There's no possible way. Well, there is a way, but then well, they unless look... you want them to get fat, <laughs> right, and have diabetes. <laughs> right. You know, if that's your goal, then yeah, 40% of your diet is carbs yeah. while you have an office job. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's a good goal. That's how we fatten cattle. Yes, I used that example to somebody yeah. not too long ago, and they really, I think I made them upset. Yeah, Not they, intentionally. I just, I answered some questions, and that wasn't the answer that they wanted to hear. Yeah. I mean, if you and, want to make pigs fat, you feed them a diet high in carbs. You feed them a diet almost exactly like the U.S. guidelines yeah. for America. Well, there was just an article that popped up the other day about chickens and how um, they're actually not vegetarians. Right, but yeah. If you have vegetarian-fed chickens, you, yeah, you've got like, sick chickens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's funny when you're a kid. If you think about cartoons of like, you feed them seeds. Things, well, no, you well you see them eat worms, right? When I think oh, you back do. to early yeah, cartoons, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see them trying to pull worms yeah. out of the ground. And that's well, any bird. I think of the seagulls on the lawn at school right. when I was going to school. Anytime it rained, it was like that thing was filled with seagulls because they're all trying to get the worms. Right, and also the seagulls here at Lake Merritt, mm-hmm. they fish out mussels. And then they fly up and they drop them on the sidewalk to bust, to bust open, open the mussel <laughs> shell and eat the mussels. That's the amount of work they'll go to. To get protein. Yeah, to get meat. meat. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, they're not out there learning how to bake bread. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, I've seen, I mean, pigeons always go for the bagels, but I've seen seagulls. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean. <laughs> yeah, around Lake Merritt where they so have access around. <laughs> to protein, they'll yeah. ignore that kind of stuff. Yeah, you right. know, they don't care as much for, right. you know, pigeons. I don't know. They're supposed to be a smart bird, but I just don't get it. They, they <laughs> Topic seem, for a different day, perhaps. Yeah, they perhaps. seem pretty, pretty <laughs> stupid to me. Well, I hope, uh, you know, that this information clarified a little bit and didn't just raise more questions. But, you know, again, just getting a, a clearer picture of the, all the possible scenarios and how you have to really look at your lifestyle, where you're at now, what your goals are, um, and be open to investigating and experimenting a little bit with with yeah. your intake to know what's going to work for you. Yeah, it's, it's there. there's a lot of very usable information. If, even if you don't understand the why, it's yeah. walking away from it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of useful information. And yeah. you just, if you're a woman, it's very hard to use your glycogen reserves, your intramuscular glycogen reserves. Mm-hmm. It's just very difficult. And, you know, whatever. You can imagine any any evolutionary scenario you want for that. I don't care. Whichever one makes you happy, it's fine with me. There you go. <laughs> but it's just the fact remains. You mm-hmm. you can't until you get to those really high power output scenarios. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just all there is to it. And, you know, it sucks. I will definitely say from the perspective of being able to maintain my body composition, I'm glad I'm not female. You know, you it's- guys... You have so many metabolic mm-hmm. processes that are just a little bit different that make huge changes in your body composition. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to work with. And if you're a male who's only made recommendations for males or only studied, you know, the male, the male research, mm-hmm. you're going to tell women things that will not work, right. that will actually make – be counterproductive. Right. So it's it's a difficult scenario for women. You know, it's it's starting to change, but I don't see a lot of in-depth really research, male or female side, into females and their diet and how these things are so different right. between the way they function. And that really informs not only the type of diet they should have, but the type of exercise they need to do. Uh, I, you know, I just think those are really important components that are missing right now i would agree 100 percent. dealing with yeah. only women for the most part and right. the variety of scenarios that i come across and because you've had a lot of success with shockwave with your clients oh yeah big time because it's it's automatically high power up but it's yep. hard not to be yep but that in itself kind of going back to what i said earlier about someone who isn't who is perhaps a novice in the gym not knowing what that should feel like and me trying to communicate mm-hmm. what that sensation is that they're trying to reach in doing shockwave is hard because nine times out of ten, if they're not experienced, they're not going to get to that point. They're going to be uncomfortable before they reach that threshold. I've seen it in person. Maybe. Maybe. There's okay. potential for an app. 
Yeah. Like a shock collar for dogs <laughs> that's Bluetooth linked to your phone. So you don't have to be there to train them. You can just tell by the look on their face. Or maybe the phone can tell through facial recognition that they're not trying hard enough and it gives them a little shock. Because I just, I don't know how you could scale that, really. You have to I have don't somebody know. there, right? It's true. It's true. Yeah, a little it's sh- true. shock collar. It's <laughs> I tell you what, I'd flex like a beast if all of a sudden I got shocked around the neck. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, any sort of gauge, any sort of cue. Yeah. Maybe not a shock. That's a little bit extreme. People <laughs> around you in the gym might start worrying about you. Yeah, you should um, probably but... warn against weak bladders. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good call. Yeah. That, that, would, could, that would be bad. Really messy. Be embarrassing. Really messy. But, yeah, I, you know, from a distance, that's why sometimes it helps to have a training partner or a coach there with you. Agreed. Agreed. If you're inexperienced. I don't think you need to have somebody all the time. Right. No, just in those initial, you know, that starting off phase until you've you've recognized what that should feel like and then are then yeah. comfortable pushing yourself to that point. So. I would completely make all my male clients wear the shot collar i could see that yeah just because because he would enjoy it yeah yeah i wouldn't even i wouldn't even care if they were straining hard enough or not they get like not even they could be resting i was just testing it out yeah they could be resting between (laughs) sets i'd be like just making sure it works yeah no that'd be awesome i could totally see i would totally yeah i would i will not sign up i would start training people more often if that were the case (laughs) well thanks for uh bringing some some clarity around this very complex question. The shock collar question? No, or, oh, the glycogen. glycogen. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps we'll revisit the collar another time. <laughs> but thanks for joining me. I um, hope everyone had some sort of a takeaway from today's episode. And uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Her Body. Yep, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Her Body on Body IOFM with your host, Alex Navarro. And if you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.